0: I work on messages. Sometimes I get started weeks in a, ahead of time, and this one I had a real hard time with the introduction, with how to start this morning. And I, I scribbled something down, but really sitting there this morning or standing there, the Lord really gave me something else. Um, does anybody in the room try to talk and find the scripture at the same time? Anybody? There it is. Anybody in the room have dealing with any kind of pain, physical, emotional, past, present, anybody dealing with any clouds or storms that seem to be hanging over you, you just can't shake, however it might be there, or anxiety, or something that is always in the back of your mind. No matter where you are, and it's always there. Well, what we're, gonna, we're talking about the way of Jesus, but there's a scripture that Jesus read when he went to this synagogue one time, and he opened the scripture to this passage. It's Isaiah 61, and he read it, and he said to everyone in the synagogue, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, I am the fulfillment of this scripture. And some of the people in the room got mad because Jesus was calling himself the Son of God. He was calling himself the Messiah because that's what this passage is. It's saying this is what the Messiah came to do. Okay? So let me read it to you. It's the first four verses. It's the whole passage is what it's talking about, the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read the first four verses of Isaiah 61. It's not on the screens because I didn't give it to them. I just got this a few minutes ago. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and then once he has come and healed us and brought this is what happens they shall build up the ancient ruins they shall raise up the former devastations they shall repair the ruined cities The devastations of many generations. It's talking more than physical there. Physical broken cities. It's talking spiritual brokenness, emotional brokenness of generations that you may be carrying. Maybe you didn't even know you're carrying the weight of that. But Jesus came for healing. As we saw last week from Matthew chapter 11, we are to take his yoke upon us and learn from him. For his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. That doesn't mean we're going to have an easy life, but he's giving us a tool to better equip us of how to make it through this life. There can be healing and peace now, relief now. I can tell you there was a period not too long ago where I struggled with deep, deep anxiety. For a year and a half, I had terrible, terrible stomach problems. Every single day for a year and a half. We thought something was terribly wrong. Went to a couple doctors, gastro doctor. And I'll be honest with you now, I haven't had that pain in a while. Because it was linked to that anxiety. That no matter who you are, it can affect you. And it comes out in you however it may come out. The pain, the struggle, the anxiety, the, the hurt. But there can be strength in Jesus doctors can help all kinds of doctors can help and they do help and Jesus put those doctors brains in their heads to help you and he can help you throughout the process as well so what I'm going to do is everyone who raised your hand and those of you who you were too anxious to raise your hand (laughs) I'm going to pray for you right now as we get started with this all right God I thank you I thank you that you came in your anointing, the anointing of of Isaiah 61, to bring healing to the brokenhearted, to the struggling, to the downtrodden, to the burden carriers, to bring peace where our spirit seems to only carry turmoil, And then in the midst of that, God, as as that verse 4 said, you give us the strength to rebuild better than what was before. Because we are using your tools now. God, I pray that you would bring healing to everyone in this room and those watching online. You would bring healing to the anxiety. You would bring healing to the brokenness. You would bring healing to the struggle. You would bring healing to what has been carried for generations and has yet to be broken. But that you would fix it here and now. God, we know you can. You made our bodies. You made our minds. You made our spirits. You, above all, know how to fix it. God, we pray that our minds and our hearts would be attuned to you as you get to work within us. Help us to follow your path and your way, always, right through the midst of the storm. And we may find ourselves, without our knowing, walking on water. God, we thank you. We thank you for your love and grace every single day. In your name I pray, amen. The way of Jesus is a new way to walk through this life, to function in this world. And you think about all that stuff I just read in Isaiah 61 that Jesus had planned to come and do. It was a lot of stuff. I mean, that was very general terms there in Isaiah 61, but think about all that Jesus did in his ministry. We have 38 recorded miracles Jesus did in scripture, 38, including healing people who had leprosy, healing people who were blind, healing people who had never walked in day in their life, whose leg muscles had completely deteriorated to nothing. He gave them new leg muscles and the ability to stand up and walk. He brought people back from the dead. I mean Lazarus, we all know Lazarus, but there was that one time he was walking into the city of Nain and as he's walking into the city there's a funeral procession coming out. There was a a, a widow woman coming out and it was her child who had died. The procession was coming out carrying the casket, taking it to the tomb. Jesus walks up to the casket, puts his hand on it and the kid in the casket sits up. Jesus raised the dead. Brought healing. Jesus loved all kinds of people. Even people who hated his guts. Even people who were some of his his closest friends. All 12 of those guys, his disciples, ran away from him the night he was arrested. He was betrayed by one of his friends, Judas. And Jesus still loved them. Jesus still poured into them. How can he do all of those things and function in this world? As John says at the end of his gospel, we saw last week, Jesus did so much in the two years a little more than two years he was doing his ministry that there's not enough room in the world to contain all of the books that would be written if it were all written down. And yet he did it in that compressed amount of time is it possible for us to do the same type stuff? Jesus says yes. He says you will do even more. Even more. How? I don't know about you I don't feel like I'm doing near any of that stuff anybody feel they're close to doing everything jesus did just checking okay good you know none of you are lying about that so (laughs) we're going to look at the way of jesus and how this is possible it almost seems daunting to if it were me to, to do all of these things how do we kick off this type of ministry If we're going to go and raise the dead and heal the blind and uh, do all of these things and have these great teaching moments with thousands and thousands of people, how do you kick this off? If it were somebody in today's world, it would be a massive live-streamed event with thousands of people in attendance and watching online. But what we see, though, in how Jesus kicks this deal off is the complete opposite of what makes the most sense to us. All right? John chapter 2. Jesus starts his public ministry on earth in an extremely unusual fashion. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, there's lots of speculation about this wedding and who this is. We really have no idea. I mean, we, we can kind of surmise jesus and his family were a little bit close to the wedding party uh, because mary kind of takes it on herself to help some of the serving and have some of the responsibility there and the fact that jesus was invited and he had just gotten these disciples a couple days before this and the family didn't have a problem with him bringing along these at this point five extra people Um, but he did he brought them and they were welcome Uh, so he shows up with his disciples verse 3 When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago at Christmas time. Weddings back then were a little bit different than now. They would do do kind of a a little bit of a ceremony. Uh, There would be, you know, the marriage. They'd get married. And then there would be a week-long reception. Like we have a reception that lasts maybe an hour, a couple hours. Some of you, three hours. I don't know. Um... Everybody, you know, I know what you're all thinking. You just stay till the cake, and then you're making a beeline for the door. But uh, they, they would have a week-long deal, and it was come and go. Some people would stay the whole time. But it was anticipated that this would be a party for a week. And so somewhere early in the process, they run out of wine. And that's a big cultural no-no. Like, that's a big taboo. There'd be a big uproar in the city. It's a small town. There'd be a big, uh, uh, these people would be looked down upon severely. And so Mary comes to Jesus. Now, again, remember, Mary, this is Jesus' mother, knows who Jesus is. She knows he's the Messiah. Undoubtedly, raising him in her house, she's seen things that are not written in Scripture. She's seen all kinds of things. I mean, he's 30 years old now. So in those 30 years of raising him, she's probably seen some miracles. She's heard him say some things. She knows from the angel who came to her and telling her that he was coming that Jesus is the Son of God. And so Mary knows who Jesus is and what he can do. And so she brings this problem to him. It's what you're supposed to do, right? You have a problem, you bring it to Jesus. She does it. Jesus, they're out of wine. We need to fix it. You know these people. We need to fix the problem, Jesus. Now look at verse 4. Look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, he says woman there. To us in our 2021 years, that sounds rude. It's not. It's actually a kind phrase. He uses that again when he's on the cross. And he is uh, giving the responsibility of caring for his mother to his disciple John. Uh, He says woman again. It's a kind phrase. It's almost like a title. It's, It's a term of endearment and respect. It's not like woman, what does this have to do with me? It's not like sharp or short or any of that. But even in what he says, what does this have to do with me? There is still some rebuke and correction in there. Because even though Jesus is Mary's son, Jesus created Mary. And Jesus knows his purpose in being on this earth. And so Mary comes to him with this problem. They're out of wine. And in Jesus' response, we can kind of get a little bit of what was in Mary's request. Because it would seem in what Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The implication there, and what that probably literally means is in the phrasing, is that Mary, you and I have different goals. (laughs) Mary brings the problem of wanting to fix the potential public embarrassment of the wedding, being out of wine, and Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for everybody to know who I am. That's for later on when I die and raise from the dead, Mary. It's not right now. You and I have different goals here. Mary. And so it would seem that in Mary's request, she came to Jesus with a certain level of expectation of how he was going to answer her request. Do you ever come to Jesus expecting him to answer your prayer request in a certain fashion, in a certain time frame? Maybe you even try to talk Jesus into it. Jesus, this will bring you the most glory if you do it exactly in this way, And my bank account has a million dollars. I'm just saying. And then I will will testify to you. I'll tithe on it, Jesus. Come on. I I bought the lottery ticket. I will tithe on that lottery ticket, Jesus. Come on. And we try to talk. like we're trying to convince Jesus to answer our prayers. You know, I mean, if you really think about it, it is kind of funny. I mean, we're trying to talk the almighty creator of everything into siding with us. When really prayer should be our hearts being attuned to him. Convincing our hearts to be more in line with him rather than his heart being in line with us. And so Jesus' response gives us that kind of idea that it would seem as though Mary brought certain kinds of expectations of how he was going to provide wine. And so when he says, My hour has not yet come, in meaning you and I have different goals on how this is going to be accomplished, Mary, he is correcting her a little bit in his response. It would be like recently, actually it was on Christmas Day, our vehicle broke, um, I don't know if you know this, we have five children, and they are getting bigger all the time. We noticed the other day, all five of them were wearing clothes that were too small. <laughs> and they had just gotten these, like, you know, a month before Christmas, brand, I mean, and it just fit, didn't fit. We saw, all, you know, five inches of ankles, it just was not working. And so trying to fit all of them in one of our vehicles and luggage and Christmas presents to get to family on Christmas day, we had the thought last year let's we have two vehicles, let's take both vehicles and we'll just spread the kids out so they're not on top of each other. We're not yelling at them the whole way to Dallas and everybody's getting mad because they're fighting and poking and all kinds of stuff at each other. And we can spread out the luggage, You know, packing for seven peoples a lot. So they're not sitting with, you know, shoved in there like a Tetris game. So we can just spread out a little bit. And so we get the car loaded Christmas morning, right? We get the car loaded, Christmas presents for Katie's family, my family, luggage. All the people are in the cars. I'm driving my vehicle, which is older. Uh, It's an 06, and I turn it on, and everything's fine. And then the other car, they're, they're waving at us. My wife's vehicle doesn't turn on. There's a problem. Christmas is noon, Christmas Day, and her car's not working. We try jumping the thing several times. Nothing happens, and it's Christmas Day. No, you know, there's not going to be a mechanic open. So we said, well, our great idea that we had of spreading out and taking two vehicles is out the window, Uh, and so we shove everything into one vehicle. I put this little basket thing on the trailer hitch on the back and we strap everything down and everybody's wedged in and said if we got to stop to go to the bathroom we'll undo everything so everybody can get out and go to the so we're all shoved in there and we finally get on the road and then we get back in town and and get it towed up to the mechanic now imagine if we get the car towed to the mechanic I don't know how many of you've worked on cars before but we get towed to the mechanic he brings it in he hikes it up and he's looking all in it and then I'm standing over his shoulder telling him what to do what you really should do is you should look over here. You know, I think it may be the tailpipe. It could be this. And so I'm, what if I'm standing there in the mechanic shop instructing him on how to fix the car when he's the expert, when he's the one who knows how to do it, when in reality what we do is we take the vehicle to the mechanic, and we say, fix it. I don't know. Just, I'll, it's not working now. I need it to work. Right? But sometimes we do that with Jesus. We bring him our request and we say, this is how I want it done, Jesus. This is exactly how it needs to go. And you need to answer this one and this one and this one. And then this needs to happen. And, and I will give you the credit, Jesus, but you've got to do it this way. And we do that. Maybe you don't. You know, I do it sometimes when I'm praying. It's, it's, it's an expectation of how I want him to do it rather than bringing it to him in trust that he knows what he's doing better than I do. As though he created the world. And I didn't. So Mary brings this request and Jesus responds to her in this fashion. But look at what happens next. What Mary says next. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. You see, Mary understood something there. Understood something about Jesus. That we saw back when the angel Gabriel came and told her that Jesus was coming. Mary said, may it be as you have said, I am your servant. And here, she turns to the servants who are standing there and says, do whatever he tells you. So she understands something about Jesus. He's going to do something. She doesn't know what, she doesn't know how. Honestly, at this point, she doesn't care how it's done. She has brought her request to Jesus with expectations. Jesus spoke to her and then she amended her expectations and as though she's saying, Jesus, do whatever you want, servants, he's got it. Let's just trust him. And she walks off. You see, Mary is communicating to us reading it and to the servants, whatever Jesus does, just obey him. However it plays out, do whatever he tells you. Whatever happens, just follow Jesus. Even when he doesn't do what I want, when I want, how I want, I've got to still just follow him. Because his way is best always. And so Mary tells those servants, do whatever he tells you, because this is what the way of Jesus is. The way of Jesus completely trusts him. The way of Jesus completely trusts him, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment, even if it's not how we thought our life would go. The way of Jesus completely trusts him in every aspect of our lives. Finances, physical health, career school with relationship things you can't control everybody as much as you'd like to you can't you can't control somebody's brain it works the way it works it's wired the way it's wired what you can do is you Uh, paul said as far as it depends on you live at peace with everybody as far as it depends on you that means do what you can You're responsible for you, following Jesus with what you have in your life. So completely trusting him in everything. So Mary turns to the servants and tells them, do whatever he tells you. Look at verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. Now, this is also key here, right? Mary told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Did Jesus say, fill the jars all the way up to the top so they're overflowing? He gave a very general instruction, fill the jars. And so the servants gave 110%. They took Mary's words, do whatever he tells you, to the uttermost. Jesus said, fill the jars, and we're going to fill them until they're bubbling over. So they filled these water jars all the way up. Now, these jars, these were purification jars. Sometimes they would be by the doors, people would come in and they would wash their hands, they'd wash their feet, or they'd wash their hands, they'd wash their feet, dip their hands back in the water and wash again. And so it's probably not the cleanest water. And if you've ever heard Jesus' first miracle before, you know what's going to end up happening to this water. It's going to become wine and people are going to drink it. If they learned they were drinking foot water, they would not be anywhere near any of their mouths. But when Jesus takes a hold of it, he purifies what is impure. And so they take this water, uh, these jars, and they fill them up to the brim. 20 or 30 gallons worth. So somewhere in the range of 150 gallons worth of water is here, give or take. And they bring it to Jesus. And he says to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Now I want to point out again the obedience of the servants. Jesus didn't say the water is now wine, so take it to the master of the feast feast. Nowhere in this miracle do we find out when the water actually turned into wine. So those servants very well could have scooped out some water with a ladle or whatever and it's still water. And they're taking it to the the guy in charge, the wedding planner. And it's still water. And they're going to bring it to him and say, hey, taste this. That (laughs) would get them in all kinds of trouble. Rebuke, maybe fired. They be punished. But they have absolute trust in Jesus. He says, scoop some out and take it. And so it just says they took it. No qualifications, no arguing, no hesitating, which sometimes we do, right? Jesus gives us an instruction that may seem out of order, that may seem weird, that unless he does a miracle, we're gonna be in a very awkward situation. But we may hesitate. Maybe you don't. I do sometimes. He gives me that instruction. I'm like, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. For real, Jesus? Like, I can list you, Jesus, right now, 15 ways that can go wrong. I've already got them. Let me type it up, Jesus, and I'll give it to you and submit it to you, Jesus, please. But these servants never waver. They just took it. Now, John is writing this down. John, Jesus' disciple, is writing this down because he's standing next to Jesus watching it happen. So he sees Jesus say this. Draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And he sees immediately what happens next. They took it. Verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. There's something there. G- the only people who knew what really happened were Mary, the disciples, and the servants. Master of the feast had no idea. He thought the groom had been saving this wine until now. He didn't know. The groom had no idea. He probably just took credit. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm, good idea. They didn't know. Mary, the servants, and the disciples. Only ones who knew what happened. It was a secret. Why did Jesus choose to start his public ministry in such a private way? His public ministry that would, like I said, heal the blind and the lame and and the leprous and raise the dead. He chose to start it in a very secret fashion where only a couple handfuls of people saw it happen and knew about it. He started his public ministry in this very, very private way. We don't really know why he did this. But what we can see in in his answering Mary's request in a fashion unlike how she probably intended it, we see that the way of Jesus is kind and helpful and generous. I mean, that's an abundant amount of wine, 150 gallons worth That's a lot. That's also a prophecy that the Messiah was going to come and and be abundant and be generous in this fashion. But something that's also key in the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus doesn't need credit. Because you notice who got the credit? The groom did. Not Jesus. The groom got the credit for what transpired. Jesus just did the miracle and allowed the groom to get the credit. He just did it, and having only those couple handfuls of people know what happened, he just let it be. Do you ever do something and want to get noticed? you ever do something and want credit for it? Do you ever get mad and angry when somebody else gets the credit for the thing you did? Like, don't tell me when you were a kid, you emptied the dishwasher, you didn't do it extra loud so that everybody knew it was you who was doing it. Took out the trash... Change the diaper. You ever do something and want the... I did that. They did not do that. I did it. I, I slaved and worked and I did the work. I, I mowed the yard. I did... I should get the credit for it. But here is Jesus popping out this miracle in, in, in a way nobody thought was going to happen. And he just lets the credit go. And he's Jesus. I mean, if anybody deserves credit for anything, it's Jesus. He made the whole world. That's in John chapter 1. Nothing that has been made would have been made without him. He made it all. And yet he's not out there puffing at his chest in the middle of the wedding saying, nope, it was me. I did it. I'm Jesus. Look at me. I'm the winemaker. No, he just does it and lets it be and lets it sit. You see, doing something in order to receive credit or acknowledgement from other people, even if that's only part of the motivation of why we did it. Maybe we do something, and it really is for the benefit of somebody else, but deep down inside, it's also a little bit for us craving that credit and, and selfishness that is hardwired into us. What Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter six, in three different places in that chapter, if what we do is to receive credit from somebody else and we get it, then we don't receive any credit from the Lord. We don't receive any acknowledgement from God. Because we're doing it for them and not for him. And so when they give us the credit, we're fulfilled. We don't need credit from God because we got it from other people. We got it, we're looking for it from people, so we get it from people. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, okay, fine, then you got it. I'll give you the verses. Matthew 6, uh, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 18. Do it without seeking acknowledgement from other people that doesn't mean sometimes even at you know your, your uh, uh, best devices you may still receive credit for something but you don't seek it out you don't pursue it you're just looking for the betterment of the other person and you're looking for the glory of god one of my favorite movies of all time there's a scene in there where this guy is redoing how the whole organization functions and there's this other guy in the organization who's taking all the credit for it out in the public in the news. And it's on the news. And the guy who actually did the work is sitting there, and he's doing some work, and the TV's on, and they're the reporting it, how this other guy should get all the credit for it. And, and his little assistant is there next to him, and uh, it's talking about all the success they're having and how, how great it's going. And the little assistant says, did you hear that? Did you hear what he's saying out there taking all the credit? And the guy who actually did it says, yeah, I, I, what I heard was it, it's really succeeding. That's what I heard. He wasn't even paying attention to the fact this other guy was taking the credit for it. And here we see Jesus is is, is not pursuing the credit. Because this is is what it is. It's not just here in John chapter 2. It's all over scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Now, that that phrase, in the name, now look look at that verse. Whatever you do in word or deed, that's everything. You say it, you do it. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That's for his honor, in his authority, at his direction. That covers pretty much everything. So whatever you do, do it to bring honor to Jesus. Do it when he directs you. Do it with his authority. Has there been anything that you have done or said in the last seven days that doesn't bring honor to Jesus? Don't elbow the person next to you. I know some of you already did. Has there been anything you've done or said in the last seven days that wasn't at the direction of Jesus? that wasn't that didn't bring His authority, glory? Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus," he says there. He says uh, in verse uh, Colossians chapter three, verse 23. "Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord." and not for men. That Work heartily. I mean, that's what those servants did, right? They filled those jars to the brim. So whatever you do, give it 110%. Even if it's for a boss you don't like, because you're not doing it for him, you're doing it for the Lord. Even if it's for ungrateful kids, you're not doing it for them, or because you'll get, you get thrown in jail if you don't feed them. <laughs> do it for the Lord, and not for men. Even if you don't get credit from people for doing it. Because you're not doing it for them. Paul tells us, do it for the Lord. Work heartily, give it 110% for Jesus, not for them. You know what he says, Paul says in some of his letters? Because Paul's writing to people who are part of the church and some of the people who are part of the church are slaves. He doesn't tell them, break out of your slavery. He tells them, maybe, you've been put in that house to save those people who you do not like, who you hate. And you're supposed to bring their love of Jesus to those people. Whatever you do, even in a situation you don't like, around people that may not honor God themselves, work heartily as for the Lord. And Paul, I mean, Paul, of all people, who's writing that Colossians chapter 3, I mean, Paul was in jail. Paul was in prison because he believed in Jesus. You know what Paul did being in prison? He didn't complain about it. He didn't assert his rights. He didn't say, call me, get my lawyer to get me out of here. Paul in prison, he took it upon himself to witness to the guards. His thought was, I've been put in prison because those guards need to know Jesus. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do everything 100% for God. Which is what Jesus said. He says this in Matthew chapter 25. He says, even those who are devalued by the culture, do for them. People who other people overlook, do for them. As though you're doing it for me. And what Jesus actually says there in Matthew 25, he says, when you do for them, you actually are doing it for me. It's not as though you're doing it for me, you're doing it for me. So that when I come and I say, Thank you for feeding me, thank you for clothing me, thank you for housing me, thank you for visiting me, and you say, Well, when did I do all of those things? Well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Whoever, however, if it's in your capacity, if it's in your ability, then it's our responsibility. Whatever we do, do it as though we're doing it for the Lord. Even if, for, if it's for somebody who's irritating, I don't want. I'm, I'm tired of them, and they text me one more time. I'm gonna lose my mind. If they ask me for one more thing. I'm just gonna block them. I'm tired of it. I already put a new name in my phone about who they are because I'm just so frustrated with them. I know somebody will do that. He says, work heartily as though it is for the Lord. Because Matthew 25, Jesus says, it is for me. You're not doing it for them. You're not doing it for the person, the individual. You're doing it for me. So we're supposed to do for anybody and everybody. Thinking about how best to honor God. Because the way of Jesus is selfless. Is selfless. And this right here... This is why this is right at the beginning. This, this message is called How to Begin the Way of Jesus. We begin with selflessness because this is one of the most difficult things. Because as human beings, we're hardwired to be selfish. It's baked into us, into our thoughts, into our actions, Preserve number one. Look out for number one. Take care of number one. It's built into us to be selfish. But the way of Jesus is counter to that, and it's selfless looking out for others, loving others. That's why Scripture tells us, love one another. Jesus told, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus created us. We ruined his creation, and yet he still came to his ruined creation, lived among his ruined creation, died for his ruined creation, knowing that some of us would not believe. And then he rose from the dead. Completely selfless. For the glory of God coming and dying and raising. John three sixteen Because he loved the world. The people who are in the world. The way of Jesus is selfless. Even if that means you don't get the credit. Just like Jesus in John 2. Even if that means you don't get the credit for it. So Even if somebody else takes the credit knowing that you did it and they knowingly take the credit in your place. The way of Jesus is selfless, and not fighting that person for the credit, but just letting it go, because Jesus sees everything. Jesus knows, and so it comes down to, am I working for Jesus, serving him, or am I doing what I'm doing for the credit of somebody else, for the acknowledgement of somebody else? Am I doing what I'm doing for Jesus, or for the opinion of somebody else? Because only one of those two things is gonna matter in a thousand years. The opinion of Jesus or the opinion of the other person? It's the opinion of Jesus. Do what we do for Jesus in selflessness, completely trusting him in every capacity. So I've got a challenge for you this week, for the next seven days. Here's the challenge. Do something this week for someone Doing your best to not let them know it was you who did it. Do something for someone else this week, not letting them know it was you who did it. Maybe somebody, maybe God, here it is, maybe God has already put a name in your mind about who you need to do this for, and you immediately said, when that name popped in your head, nope, mm-mm, mm-mm. That person needs Jesus, but he needs Jesus in a slap in the face. That's what that person needs. But Jesus gave you that person's name for a reason. Don't argue with Jesus. Follow Jesus. Because, again, the way of Jesus is selfless. Less of me, more of him. So somewhere this week, I want you and, and don't let it just be by default, oh, I just happened to be here. Plan it out. Go out of your way to do something for somebody else and try not to receive the credit. A few months ago, I received a gift in the mail and it was anonymous. And I, it actually popped up on my phone as a notification from FedEx, hey, you're getting a delivery today. And I thought, I didn't order anything. And for FedEx, we, when does FedEx ever bring anything to my house? I said, Kate, did you, I don't know what this is. And we could see the, the origin number of the thing and I was like, I don't even know what that is. Nothing we, order, I mean, Amazon did not have something like that. And so I got really curious and trying to figure this out. Like, what in the world is this thing coming to my house? Like, I don't know. Uh, and so I, I began to, you know, search through FedEx and try to find. I searched the internet, saying, uh, that little number's not popping up anywhere. And, and finally, in some small print down at the bottom, like, you know, the tiny print you get in the email that they just have to put there for legal reasons, but it's like .1 font and you can't read it. Well, down there, I found 10 numbers. It's like, maybe that's a phone number. Like, there's no name. And so in my cu- curious self, thinking that I'm Sherlock Holmes, uh, and if you don't know, it's a detective from the past, I, I punched those 10 numbers in my phone, and a name popped up. It's like, oh, that's who this is. Uh, and so I, it came, the package came, and it was a gift, and I opened it, and I called the people who sent it, uh, because of the phone number, and I said, what is this thing that I've got here? And the person on the other end of the phone said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I know you sent this thing to me. I don't know. Well, what, what? What? And through a series, I mean, it was like a 20-minute deal. I finally got them broken down enough to say, okay, fine, we sent it. They said, we worked so hard to keep our name off of that, and do this, and keep it out of here. Uh, uh, she, it was. She said that her husband had gone down and ordered this and sent it. And uh, she had, he had spent time with the people at the store to make sure his name was nowhere on anything. She, and they, they, they grilled me to how I figured it out. And uh, I said, well, the phone number was down there at the bottom, I guess. Um, but if, if the person you're doing it for has the tenacious curiosity of, you know, a great irritation like I did... Uh, don't worry about it. That's their fault. That's my, it was my fault. They were trying to do something nice, and I ruined the anonymity of it. But uh, that's the challenge this week. F- pursue someone. Maybe, you need to, maybe some of you right now, God's already been giving you more than one name. You need to do somebody every day. Some of you, I'm just telling you, that's the challenge. Find one person. Do something for them that, under your best efforts, you can't get the credit for it. All right? You see, Jesus selflessly gave to us, just like he did at the wedding. He selflessly gave to that couple and that family. They didn't know where the wine came from, but Jesus did it for them without receiving credit. That's what Jesus does. He selflessly gives all the time, he selflessly provides all the time, most of the time to an ungrateful people. And so the question for you is, do you want to know this Jesus who selflessly gave himself to die and raise? Do you want to know that Jesus who selflessly gave to you, gave you your life, gave you your provision, gave you the very breath you have in this second? Do you want to know that Jesus? Not just know him in your head, but know him as, as a friend, know him as a savior, Have a relationship with him, a daily conversation with him. You can know him if you believe in him. Believe that Jesus, God's son, died so all your sins would be forgiven. Believe that Jesus, God's son, rose from the dead so you can live after you die. If you believe that, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. And you have the opportunity now to follow the way of Jesus through the tumultuous and turmoil of this life will you follow him today follow him first in faith and believing in him then follow him in trust like we've seen today follow him in selflessness like we've seen today will you follow Jesus now